Welcome to Britt David Podcast, as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy with a message entitled, We Are Living in the Last Days, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. We are living in the last days. You have heard that said before, and it's true. We are not waiting on any more prophecies to be fulfilled. We are waiting on the Savior from heaven to return and gather his bride like the loving bridegroom he is. You have also heard how we are to live in light of his imminent return. The only problem is that we are not living as we ought. Rather, we better fit the description that Paul gives to Timothy of the modern church living in perilous times of the last days. Here's Pastor Tim. All right, take your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Just as we were able to move through a chapter break in our morning study, we're moving through a chapter break in our evening study in 2 Timothy. When we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul begins to talk to Timothy not just about about pastoring that church in Ephesus at that particular time. He's also talking about where they're headed in the future, where history is headed in the future, and he does so under the heading of last days. When we talk about last days, we're not talking about days that you mark necessarily on a calendar, even though they are real. We're talking about a period of time that the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord as the last days, as the end times, depending on where you find those things in Scripture. So what period of time then are we talking about? So let's, let's back it up a little bit, all right? So the end times of the last days really end with this millennial reign of Christ that ushers in eternity, all right? So if you're thinking about making in your mind an eschatological calendar, let's work our way backwards. And the last thing on that calendar is the eternal state. Right before that is the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign. What is it that begins the thousand-year reign? It's the second coming of Christ, right? It is the Armageddon. It's the battle in which those that belong to him in heaven come back with him as he rides in on this white horse uh, with a fiery sword of a mouth, which simply means that with a spoken word, he will defeat all of his enemies. By the way, you and I are coming, but we're coming really as spectators. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say that we have any weapons whatsoever. We're just there. We're there to be able to see everything come to an end at that point. So at the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ is what we typically refer to as the end, even though we know that the millennial reign is to follow and then the eternal state. All right? Working our way backwards on this calendar. So what is it that precedes Armageddon? What is it that precedes the second coming of Christ? It's the seven-year tribulation, right? Seven literal years, I believe, seven literal years of God pouring out His wrath on mankind because of our sins. That seven-year period is typically what we refer to. We talk about the tribulation, and it's often those things that we read about throughout the book of the Revelation. We read some horrific things that will take place during those seven years. So what begins that? If we're working our way backwards got the eternal state that's way out there. Just before that is the millennial reign, which is ushered in by the second coming of Christ. Prior to that is the seven-year tribulation period. What is it that ushers that in? What's last 
on that part. It's the rapture of the church. So think about these things for a moment. And Paul deals with them, and you've been dealing with them in Sunday school if you've been going through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are two separate events. Even though if you're looking in the Old Testament, if you're looking even in the New Testament, sometimes it's hard to tell which one is being talked about. It may be even Jesus himself that sometimes he seems to be talking about the rapture and then suddenly switch to the second coming and then switch right back to the rapture. Sometimes it's hard to follow through all of those scriptures. We talked about it in our Sunday school class. It's trying to look at two great events in history. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. If you think about those as mountaintops, mountaintops in the in prophecy mountaintops period, all right? So you're headed from here to Chattanooga, all right? And going all the way up the road, once you get through Atlanta, suddenly you begin to see these purple mountains come into view, right? And you see one mountain right next to another mountain. And it looks like, I mean, the road could just split the two mountains right apart, and you have one mountain, you know, one on each side as you go. But the closer that you get to Chattanooga, what do you find out? What do you really find out is that these mountains really are like this. There's a mountain on this side for sure, but it sure is a whole lot closer than the mountain that's on this side. They appear to be right together when you're far away. The closer you get, you begin to see that there really is a distance between those two things. And there's a seven-year difference between those two events. All right? So what precedes the rapture of the church? What are we, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Nothing. There's, there's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled. There's, there's nothing that we have to check off. In fact, it's why we refer to it as the imminent return of Christ. In other words, it could happen at any moment. There's no reason for him not to come at this point and take his church home that they might miss the rapture. That's why he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that he has come to rescue us from the wrath that is to come. So do we not have a clue? Do we not know at all when that's going to come? Jesus talked about it in these terms. He talked about the rapture of the church in those last days like a woman's pregnancy. And he says, as you get closer to the time of delivery, just as a mother-to-be are having birth pangs, the earth is having birth pangs. There are instances, glimpses, of what is to come. I think when you look at what is COVID-19, I think it's a birth pang of the end times. I think when you look at, you know, famine that's not created necessarily by war, but famine that's created because we can't get trucks from one place to another. I think that they're birth pangs. I think Jesus is giving us gracious glimpses of what is to come during that period of time that you and I are going to miss. Why would he do that? For two reasons. Number one, that you would be prepared for his coming. And number two, that you would be grateful for what he is rescuing you from. When we get into 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul begins to talk to Timothy. Specifically, he uses the words in verse number 1 about the last days. 
So we're not talking about the millennial reign in this part of the last days, even though that's a part. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. Even though it's a part of the last days, that's not what he's talking about. The tribulation period surely is a part of the last days, but that's not what he's talking about either. What's he talking about? He's talking about those moments before the rapture. He's talking about the birth pains that are coming. What is the glimpses? What are the glimpses? What are the glimpses of what is to come? What are those things going to look like? And that's what he warns Timothy about. What he says to him is, Timothy, you may very well be serving that church on the moment that Jesus returns. So you need to be ready for these last day's events. Well, Timothy didn't live to see that, did he? But you and I might. So what are those last days like? Same description that Paul gives in the first century is the same description of it in this 21st century. Same thing for Ephesus is the same thing for Brit David. And so he says this, look at verse number one. But know this, know this, be assured of this, be absolutely sure that in the last days, perilous times will Come. So what we're going to talk about tonight are the perilous times of the last days. What are they going to look like? By the way, this word perilous, at least that's the, that's the translation that I have um, in my New King James. You may have, sometimes it says times of stress. <laughs> that sounds so gentle, especially when you begin to look at that word perilous. The word perilous that's used, that Paul uses here, is only used one other time in the Bible. You know, it's not been too long ago since we talked about the demon-possessed man in Gadara. Remember, we're in Luke chapter number 8 and we saw that guy? Matthew's account of that doesn't have just one demon-possessed man in Gadara living among the tombs. He says that there are two. Now, just because Luke says that there are one, there's not a problem. He's focusing in on one, isn't he? It could easily have been two. So there are two guys that are there. And when Matthew describes the demoniacs, the people who are possessed by the devil, he describes them as, my New King James says, exceedingly fierce. It's the same word that you have for perilous. So if you want to use that translation, you obviously can. Know this, that in the last days, exceedingly fierce Times will come. These are dangerous days that we're talking about. And they're not dangerous days that are coming during the tribulation. These are dangerous days that are a part of the glimpse of what is to come. If it is this dangerous, as he's going to describe, if it is this dangerous, this fierce, this perilous now, imagine what those seven years of tribulation are going to be like. Sometimes somebody uses the... um, The phrase, it's like hell on earth. There's nothing closer to that. There's nothing else that could fit that description other than the tribulation. And what we find in this passage is horrific detail about what is to come. Especially when we get to the end and we see not just who Paul is talking to, But who Paul is talking about, 
All right? So as we go through this passage, he says that you need to know this. You need to know these things. So there are two specific things that I want you to know as we dissect this passage tonight. The first one is this. We need to acknowledge the times. We need to acknowledge the times. These are our times. This is, this is the time that we live in. This is a description. I mean, I know it's a description of, of first century that, that Paul expects Timothy to have to deal with, but this is a description of modern America. This is a description of exactly where we are. And here, I guess, let me go ahead and just give you the bombshell. I mean, he's not just talking about the society around us. He's talking about the church. In the church, this is what Timothy's going to find. In the church, this is what we find. How sad that the very thing that Jesus has come to save us from, to deliver us from in the rapture, (laughs) is how we're acting before he comes to get us. Now think about that sometimes. If he could come at any moment, you know, What's he going to find me doing? You know, what, what am I going to be doing in that moment? You know, I, I, I'd love to say, you know, kind of like this week, being able to lead that lady to the Lord, you know, to fa- say that finally men and the Lord come back, man, that'd be awesome. But probably in all likelihood, I'm doing something stupid that I ought not be doing in the first place. You know, What's, how's he going to find us? What Paul's telling to Timothy is, the church looks an awful lot like the world, even though it's the world that Jesus is coming to judge. So understand and acknowledge the times that you do live in. These are things that are happening without, but they're also things that are happening within. There are 18 or 19, depending on how you, uh, exactly how you break down these descriptions, but at least 18 different descriptions that Paul gives to Timothy about what those times are going to be like. I want to divide them up for you into four categories, all right? So let's do it this way. Number one, I want you to see that we have a corrupted view of love. We have a corrupted view of love. It is perverted. And I don't just mean you know, uh, homosexuality, I don't just mean infidelity, I don't just mean transgender issues, I don't just mean those kinds of perversion over that word. I mean what we, the church, remember he's talking to the church, what we have done to the love of God that he's placed within us. Notice what Paul says that we are in love with, all right? So let's go to verse number two. He says, know this, in last days perilous times will come, and then here comes the description. First of all, in verse number two, he says, men will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the perfect place to start, doesn't it? We're in love with ourselves. We're self-centered. We're self-motivated. We want self to be rewarded and acknowledged. We're in love with ourselves. But secondly, he says they're also lovers of money. Sounds a lot like where we are, doesn't it? We are lovers of money. We're lovers of whatever it is that is the tool or the means by which we gain more stuff. 
We're in love with ourselves. We're in love with money. If you skip down to verse number four, almost toward the end, he says that we also are lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. I want to tell you something. We have, we have not lived any more in that than we live in that right now. And you see it in the workforce. You know, how many, how many times have you gone to your favorite restaurant only to find that they're not open because it says that they're short-staffed, right? <laughs> Hire taller people, somebody said. <laughs> there are just not enough people that want to work. And yet everywhere you go, you find businesses begging for people to come. I mean, for somebody to, for you to go to a fast food restaurant and for them to have to find a picture of your order and not what it really is and push that button and still have to wait on the machine to tell them how much change to give you because they can't make it themselves. And yet we want to pay them an exorbitant amount of money for that and yet we'd still rather stay home. We're lovers of pleasure. We're not lovers of work. We're not lovers of industry. We're lovers of the things that please us. We want to be men and women of luxury. The Bible says that we are to be lovers of God. We're going to come back to that final phrase there in verse number four in just a little bit, but it tells me that everything is messed up. When it comes to love, the, the one thing that's supposed to define your discipleship, what did Jesus say? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car, if you have a cross necklace, if you wear a, a, a vacation Bible school t-shirt. No, he said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, and yet we have corrupted what love really even looks like because we've made it about ourselves and not about God and not about other people. And the most ironic part of all of this, of all of these descriptions, is to see how clearly he says they are lovers of themselves, they are lovers of money, they are lovers of pleasure. And yet... Yeah, look right there in verse number three. How's verse number three begin? They're unloving. What does that mean? I mean, how can he say that we love all these things and yet we're not loving at all? It means that we're not loving the way that he would have us to be loving. We don't love him, nor do we love others the way that we are commanded to love. We love out of a self-centered ideal. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his verse-by-verse -verse study of 2 Timothy. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.